Wow, thanks, team. You know, I'll bet you were just about at the point in your week where you were wondering how you you were going to get through the rest of it because you thought that it was about you. (laughs) And then you come to the house of God and, you know, you just, you sing a few songs and all of a sudden everything seems okay. (laughs) Then you come to the house of God and you sing a few songs and everything seems to be okay. Okay. This is what I love about my Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit of the living God is that, is that your Father in heaven can unwind you in about two sentences of a worship song that doesn't even have to do with your situation. There's something about the almighty wisdom of God that, that you can't mistake for the knowledge of the world. See, the knowledge of the world is like, collect more data, collect more data, then we'll know what to do with it. COVID fans, did we know what to do with it? No. Here's the thing. The, the multiplied wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, when your father walks into the room and says two things and somehow applies his power to your situation that gets you the result, which is wisdom. See, wisdom is getting the result that you want, whether you have the information or not. There's something about the power of God that can do that. And it takes wisdom and not knowledge to do that. That's powerful. That's powerful. I'm starting a new series uh, called The Wall about the life and times of of Nehemiah. You're going to love it today by faith. You're going to love it. Kim's going to love it by faith. The rest of y'all need to be more like Kim. His words create life. His words bring life. His words bring life out of darkness. His words take all of the data of the enemy and all the the armies that surround you. And his word comes and says, yeah, I've got another plan here. Do we want to do my plan or did you want to try your little plan there? That's not working. There's something powerful about that. Welcome live streaming. Hey, guys, we're live streaming for the first time ever today in the service. So welcome. Here's, Here's what I would like to say. I'm glad that you're joining us online. But if you're in town and you're like a few blocks away... Y'all, do we miss him a little bit? I'll tell you what, uh, we had grace to go online for a while, but we feel like uh, God has uh, told us to open. Um, Because, you know, can I just be honest? Um, Church in the early days, in the early part of the church, was not about providing safe church experiences for church people. It was like, come, and if the Romans find out, (laughs) we got a problem. And if the Jews find out, we have another problem. And... There was something about Jesus being the light of the world, and, and we felt like, I personally felt like, be in talking with people and the, the other issues attached to this whole thing, and I'm going to get into the, the, what happened when a spirit of fear came into our country. I'm going to show you what happened in God's solution to a spirit of fear, which is, of course, the fear of the Lord. When we mistake the spirit of fear that the enemy would bring for the fear of the Lord that, that heaven would bring, when we start understanding the dynamic of that and what happened there and how the devil played his hand, but how God used it to create a vacuum for his own name, then you'll start to understand why we had to open our doors here. That's how we were feeling. I felt like it was riskier not to because we don't do church for us. We do church for the person who's coming here. And if you're here today for the first time and, and uh, what I would say is don't, don't worry about your situation at home. God knows that it's there. What God needs to do is get a little more of you. And don't, it's not over. There's hope in the house of God. There is light in, the, in the, the, the eyes of Jesus here today. And the Holy Spirit, here's what I want to tell you today is that before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a cross. And, and I'm, it's today's sermon, I'm just so excited about it. You know, most sermons are all about you. So I'm like, you know, we're going to talk about Peter, but Peter's actually you. And we're going to talk about this person and this person is you. Some people read the Bible 
and they put themselves as a character into the story, but they're reading about Jesus and thinks that, think that it's talking about them. And your family knows you're not Jesus. We're not going to worship you. You're weird, man. You made it to church today and you had a pair of pants on. That was good. Like, I'm proud of you, but, but we're not going to worship you and sacrifice to you. And you got to be careful you don't sacrifice to your own self. When we remove our, our, ourselves off the throne of our lives and God brings his wisdom. Let me show you what the Holy Spirit showed me today about the spirit of fear. Just stay there for another second. Thanks, Sean. Can you say thanks, Sean? See, what, what happened was this, this sickness thing happened, but then our leaders um, played a fear, a fear card. You know, you got to watch playing a fear card. I don't think that it was good leadership. And, you know, they didn't know whatever, but you're still responsible. And what I would say is you can play the fear card, but be careful that you don't try to make it into some weird fear of the Lord sort of thing. So I talked to a very smart person who probably knows more than you do about what was going on, even in the COVID situation. And he said, well, we have to fear it. This was before God got to him. We have to fear it like we fear the Lord. Something reacted inside of me and I'm like, no, no, we don't fear anything like we fear the Lord. And in fact, if we fear something else more than we fear the Lord, then the devil can make you do silly things in your life. And so he, he later realized that, no, it was the trap. And see, what, what, what our leaders did was they made us so afraid to play in the street where the cars were that, have you ever done this to your children? Like, don't play in the street. And then you just take it like way too far. I'm the only one who's done this. Whatever, I'll be honest, y'all liars. It's like saying like, okay, stay off the street because you might get hit by a car, but then it's like, and then you're putting your kids to bed and it's like, and those cars could come right into your bedroom and kill you right here, right here. Do you want that to happen? Is that what you want? You know, and there's this like a fear card because what it did was it got everybody off the street. However, what I need to say is, is, is look at what fear did. See, fear, fear has, it's like triplets. So fear is like the first one. But then the next one is panic. Do we got any panickers in the house? It's okay. We love you. We love you. Just get next to somebody who's not a panicker. That's good. What panic does, see, see, fear brings panic and fear brings anger. What panic does in the midst of a crisis is panic looks at all the data, doesn't know what to pick and choose from, doesn't know what to do. And then it takes, eventually it takes an ax into the bottom of your boat that's filling up with water to let the water out. It's okay. We love you. Panic. When I would panic, my dad would walk into the room and be like, boy, give me the ax. What are you doing, man? Relax. Your father in heaven has a plan. I'm going to show you in the life of Nehemiah today. He's got a plan. He's got grace. He's got everything that you need. We just got to do it his way. He, he has this irritating thing where he thinks that he's God. Super irritating. <laughs> so when you realize that you're not and he is, well, then we'll, we'll find some answers together. But the answers are to be found in, in Christ. And so fear, fear brings panic, and panic knocks a hole in your boat, uh, and, then, and then fear also brings uh, its, its meaner sibling called anger. And anger takes an axe to your, to your neighbor's boat, because <laughs> it's a nicer boat than your boat, and tries to, put a, tries to chop a hole in it. Now, here's the thing. If somebody was handling this better than you, you probably got a little bit angry at them. But I'm saying, I'm saying, if they had the fear of the Lord, don't be angry. Let's just do what they do so that they wouldn't panic. Now... Now, the spirit of fear and, the, and the, the fear of the Lord. Let me show you the difference. Thanks, Sean. Let me show you the difference in between the, the two of these things. The, the, the spirit of fear that comes from the enemy of your soul is trying to panic you and make you angry and to make you do silly things. And so the, in the panic, 
you already you were already broke and then you went out and bought something that you didn't have the money for. So that's what panic does. You know, anger makes you react to people and and makes you take out your frustration and your sense of helplessness and lack of control on people. And so, but the fear of the Lord is something that brings life. It says, in fact, that, that in the fear of the Lord is wisdom. In fact, it says that wisdom begins in the fear of the Lord. And so what I would say to very clever people, or if you are here, like explore faith in God, because the, the Bible uh, would argue, the words of God would argue that if you don't even believe in God, then you haven't even begun the path of wisdom. You might have knowledge, you might have science, you might have all of these things, but what you are missing is what wisdom does and what only wisdom does. Are you ready? Wisdom gets you the result that you want. Yeah. Knowledge won't, data won't. Wisdom will actually get you the result. Now, wisdom and the wisdom of God can get you the result whether you understand the data or have it or not. And that is what we say in the house of God. Come to the house of God, he can fix you. And you don't even have to know how he did it because he's God and you're not. Or you've kind of fallen the track here. The spirit of fear, they, they played the, the, the fear card. And the, the, the devil took us captive. Because only, see, uh, a sickness or this racial tension that we're experiencing right now. I feel like God wants to bring his justice here. But before we protest, we need to protest and prophesy that, you ready? That, that the dream that God has where his sons and daughters sit next to each other in the same house and worship and their kids are treated the same happens. But it has to come from heaven. The government can't tell you to get along with your neighbor who didn't come from the same country as you did. The government can't tell you, like, you, be nice to... It can't. But in the house of God, why? Because the government is a democracy and the house of God is a kingdom with a king who's like, treat each other well. Love each other like I loved you. And this is where we commanded. This is where the shift has to happen in the church first. And so, so there were four things that happened, call them pillars of the human soul, that Dr. Henry Cloud um, brought to my attention during this time that, that something rode in on the wave. I think a spirit of fear rode in on the wave of this, of this COVID crisis. And what it did was it took away the four things that make you that give you purpose as a human. Are you ready? Uh, we say this all the time. You're here to connect with God and with people. Like if you can't do that, like there's nothing else that you're, okay, so there's connection. And then help me out, Aaron. There was structure, structure, <laughs> my brain. I'm so detail oriented because I love people. That's why I'm detail oriented. I have people who are detail-oriented because I love people. So there, there was connection. There was structure, right? We lost all structure to our lives. There was control. Not that you should have a lot of control, but I'm saying, like, there was, like, the control, like, I can get in my car and get a cup of coffee. You know, control. Like, I, I have something predictable and, and the structure and control. And then there, there, there was the sense of accomplishment. And if you lost your job or you had to stay home, like, it took all four of those things. Sickness can't do that. Just a, a normal random sickness can't do that. War can't even do that. There's nothing that can do that unless something else wrote in on it. And I think that the enemy of your soul wrote in with a spirit of fear to make all of these things happen. However, like I've said, there is a vacuum that God created in this time. God didn't cause it, but God can create something out of death. He can create resurrection out of death. And watch what he does now in our cities and in our nation because there is a puzzle piece that all the other pieces attached to that you are missing, that your neighbors are missing, that looks like Jesus. And so now we know. Now, Israel, in the time of Nehemiah, had been taken captive. It had been some 100 years, uh, 150 years since Jerusalem has been destroyed. Now, this thing took us captive. Not the sickness, not this. 
No, no, this other spirit of fear took us captive. And what we have to do is we have to trade a spirit of fear for the fear of the Lord. But in your own life, God will only give you grace enough to do a little bit of that. Now, God speaks to you in worship songs. And, and when I read my Bible every day, you read your Bible every day, you pray every day. I hope so. Or you're going to be weak. Is you going to get in a cage fight with the devil and he's not going to stop eating. So you got to start, you got to feed your soul every day. You got to feed that the spirit inside of you, that the Holy Spirit lights on fire. You got to give him something to work with and read your Bible and pray and worship. But then there's this other piece that for God to do this on a corporate level or even on a family level in your life, that, that God, he does it in a certain way because again, he's God and he has this irritating way of acting like God. If he would give you the deliverance that you wanted right now, just you, and if that's all that he would do, like, I need this in my marriage right now because we're just about done, and I need this. If God would give that directly to you, and if God would answer all of your problems, and God would give it directly to you, your, I would suggest to you that your pride would remain intact. But what he does is he sends a messenger, he sends a Nehemiah with the message. If you go to the messenger, you get what God has. And if you won't, you don't. I'm going to tell you about some Nehemiahs in my life. When I realized this in my 20s, I'm like, God, why won't you give me this thing? And God's like, go to this person to get it. And I'm like, why? God's like, because you're proud. And if I just gave everything to you, you'd think that we're... You're that special, and you're just like, you know, like you're my most favorite kid of all time, right? And you are, but I have a lot of favorite kids too. And he's like, I, it's a kingdom. I deliver the supplies how I want to, and the reason I do that is because humility is the currency of the fear of the Lord. Yeah. But the spirit of fear, you can have all of your pride intact and still be afraid, and the devil can be pushing all your buttons. But if you want to trade this for that, humility is the currency here, and God will send a messenger, a Nehemiah, with the gift. And if you go to Nehemiah, you get the gift, and you get humility, which is the currency of heaven, which is the currency of the kingdom. That's powerful. You should write that down. Like I say, most sermons are about you today. This sermon, you're not even going to enter into this sermon. This sermon is about Nehemiah. This sermon is about the one that God would send to you. And so, so don't, we'll get into it next week, what your part is and my part is to play in all of this. But what we have to do is we have to study Nehemiah's resume first. So, um, see, the messenger must be outside of my personal control. When the messenger is outside of my personal control, then I don't, I don't control how God gives it to me. And when he gives it to me, God decides. Does that make sense? So I, I have some Nehemiahs. And does that make sense? Somebody over here said yes, but I'm missing this side of the room. Okay, um, good. Um, I have some Nehemiahs in my life. Pastor Peter from Substance Church, uh, my pastor, Pastor Nate, uh, my pastor too. He's the executive of Substance. And so when I was with Pastor Peter last November, I was sitting there for lunch. And when, when I'm with Pastor Peter, I'm like, I'm a different person. Like I'm a, here, I'm all like talky. You know, I'm just like super outward and always like, hey, fix that thing and let's do this thing. And, you know, I do a lot of talking. When I'm there, I'm like, I have this like humble hat of the student. I know y'all wouldn't recognize me. And so I just sit there and I'm just like, speak. I just, I need the impartation of the spirit from you. I need something that you have. And God gave you to me so that when I'm with Pastor Nate, it's just, I'm just like, speak. I said to him last time he was here, I'm just like, just say anything you need to. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't hurt my feelings by not telling me something that we needed to fix. Would you? Like you wouldn't hate me that much. Would you? 
That's how I worded it. That's what I wanted correction. I'm like, tell me, tell us, you know, let us know how we can get better as a church. Reach more people for Christ. Do it better. And so I was with Pastor Peter, and he said something very powerful to me that, that I, saw, I just saw Nate on, a, on a, like an arc. It was like a mini conference online and stuff. And I just saw him. He reiterated it to me. And I'll, let me show you what I did. Pastor Peter told me, because I'm a pastor and my family is in the church, of course. And so, but the church is kind of our life, right? And Pastor Peter said, look, the church is a rubber ball. It'll bounce back. Like, if your attendance goes down for three months because something happens, he didn't know that was going to happen. But, you know, like, it'll come back. The church is, okay, if you had a bad month financially, it'll come back. Like, if you, you know, if you blow up subwoofers because you play them too loud, you can get new ones. You know what I mean? Which we have because we like playing them too loud. It's just this idea of, like, the church is a rubber ball. It'll bounce back. But, he says, your family is made of glass. He said, you got to take care of your family. you got to take care of your family. Because a pastor's family can't feel like the church is his real family. Come on, you don't understand this because my dad was my pastor too. So like they understood this. And so, so as soon as I, I heard this again on Tuesday, I'm like, okay, because what, what Pastor Peter said is you need to plan your next family vacation. This is in November. And so I'm like starting to do it and then COVID. And I'm like, ah, oh, now we can't do anything. So mad. And so, and so, but it came up again and I'm like, okay, okay. And so now, so as soon as I heard this word, I got my impartation and I knew what we needed to do. And so I planned a family vacation for us in August for two weeks. And so, and so that is a time that I'll tell you, it's just good for our, our family. My wife and daughters just need to know that I don't care about the church for two weeks. Like, I love you, but I'm not going to think about you for two weeks because I got to think about them. Like, they're my first priority. They're the, you know, I want my children to love, love Jesus, love the church, not despise it. And so it's just that thing, you know, it's just good priorities for me. And so, um, and so, and so when I realized, uh, when I realized that, uh, um, I'm like, right, right. My family's made of glass. And I, and I did that and it settled me down because I don't get fatigued that often, but I was getting fatigued and kind of weary in my soul. And I was getting nervous and worried about my kids. And I don't know why. Cause I mean, they look like they're doing okay. Unless some of you know something that I don't know. Talk to me after. Cause I will spy on them. I have no problem with that. But I was getting worried about my kids, and I thought, well, this is unusual for me. And then I realized, oh, when the impartation came, then I did the thing, and now I'm not worried. And now I'm not fatigued, and I know what to do. And so there's a powerful thing about that that I realized, oh, God had a plan. I just had to go to the right Nehemiahs to get it. Um, see, you can try to bring change, and it'll be in the flesh. But when God brings it, it's in the spirit, and the spirit always works. And so you can bring it in the flesh, or you can go to the Nehemiah and get the plan in the spirit. And when you get the plan in the spirit, no matter how crazy it sounds, it works. And you're going to see Nehemiah's plan unfold as the series moves on. So but history shows us that we often miss the message because we miss the messenger. I think of the great Martin Luther King, but he was a messenger sent from heaven with a dream. That's what caused, that's what started the whole conversation. It wasn't him commanding in some fleshly thing. No, it was God with a dream that, that his sons and his daughters would all line up and would all receive the same blessing. It's this dream. It's this, that's where it starts. And when we go to the messenger, it alleviates our pride. Now, I was reading, and, and a man named Guzik writes that the deported Jews had made their homes in Babylon. So this is the history of, of Nehemiah. They had found a measure of comfort in their lives and faith, but far from their homeland promised them by God. And I wonder if, if your life looks like what you thought God promised you if you grew up like a kid in Sunday school. Maybe you didn't. Maybe this is all new to you. But, 
Have God's promises come true in your life? Or did you find yourself kind of way over here when you thought God's plan was way over here? What I want to say to you that in this series, I think that God can just by his spirit get you back over to here. I, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. He, he can return those things, those years that were lost maybe. And said they had little desire to return home and had accepted their fate. And I think that's where you and I get it wrong sometimes. I think we accept where we're at and I think that we shouldn't. Am I preaching to you? I think that we accept where we're at. We're just like, hey, my marriage is just always going to be broken. Really? Really? Is God not on the throne anymore? Oh, I think my kids, you know, all kids go through this rebellious stage. Do they have to, though? There has to be something else that is God breathed into that situation that believes the best, that, that looks at with heaven's eyes. It says, the book of Nehemiah begins 15 years after the book of Ezra ends, almost 100 years after the first captives returned, and some 150 years after Jerusalem was destroyed. 75 years before, they had tried to rebuild the wall, but they were stopped by their enemies. No one thought it could be done. After all these years, the wall was still rubble. It was everywhere. They had been defeated. They were discouraged. It was evident every place they looked and everywhere that they walked. They wanted what had now become impossible. They were wide open and at the mercy of their enemies. This is the proving ground for your Nehemiah. If you have a godly Nehemiah, this is the resume that they are coming with. This is something that, that you probably won't experience in the way that they will. Now, I think what happened to Israel, because Israel had this, uh, this old cycle that happened, and they're not different than Canadians are today. It's like, um, you remember when your grandfather came here, or your, your grandmother came here, or great-grandmother, how, however old you happen to be? It was my grandfather's. They, they came here, and, they're, and they're, they're like, they came in the fear of the Lord, in the particular religious, like, God, this land, this... Some of them were fleeing from religious persecution and country persecution. And, and they came and they found this land that was free. And they're like, God, this land has everything. And then God blessed them and they started homesteads. Come on. And they knew that it was the Lord their God that gave it to them. And they were grateful. And they brought back the tithes to the storehouse. And they brought their sons and daughters and dedicated them in the house. And then a couple of uh, generations went by and we're like, okay, thank you, God. We'll take all your stuff, but we don't need you. And the same thing happened in Israel. It's like, thank you for all the stuff, God. Come on, Alberta. We had oil. We had money. We had it all. And we forgot the Lord our God. We forgot that it's he who gives us the power to get wealth. And we forgot that we were supposed to feed the nations from here. And we fed ourselves. And then we bought ourselves bigger stuff. And, and it's time to return to the Lord our God. See, Ezra came back and built the temple. It has to start, I feel like it has to start in the church. I feel like judgment has to start in the church. You want your neighbors to repent because their lives are a mess right now. Why don't you start the repentance? You're going to see what Nehemiah has to do. Why don't you start the process of repentance so that it, revival begins in the temple so that it can bleed out into the city? And when it starts in the temple and we stop looking at like, well, you out there, if you would just come in here. Yeah, well, that used to be you. And so don't make the mistake of thinking that church is about you if you're in church. If you're a son or daughter of God, congratulations, you die, you get to go to heaven, but they don't. But let's get holy on the inside. Let's remember what it is that our, our grandfathers came here to do, and that was to dedicate a country to the Lord our God and to serve him with everything that he gave. I'm preaching, that's not even my sermon. Nehemiah chapter 1, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, cupbearer to the king. How many of you would like to be a cupbearer to the king? You, do you know why they had cupbearers? Because um, if you could poison a king, maybe you could be king. And so if I'm, if I'm, the, if I'm the king 
And Jason over here wants to be king. And he's thinking about it. What he tried to do is he tried to poison my food or he tried to poison my drink. But, but then I have Chad over here who's my cupbearer. And so everything that, that, that comes from the cook goes to Chad. And then Chad, like, drinks the wine. And I just watch Chad for a couple of really awkward minutes just to see if he's doing okay, if he's feeling strong. And then every now and again, if he's messing with me, he starts like, <laughs> or he waits till I try it. And then he starts. But that's what kind of intimate relationship you'd have to have with the king. And so Nehemiah has this position that you don't have. He has the ear of the king. Like he would be in on councils. He would be there all the time. So he has this position. He has the ear of the king. And it says, in the late uh, autumn, I was at the fortress of Susa. And then he said, one of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So everything is going okay. He has the car that you want. He has the income. He has everything. He's in the, he's in the house of the king, man. He got everything that you spend your whole life for, but all of a sudden one day it's not enough anymore because something else happens and he hears news that, that he didn't want to hear. He asked how they were doing in Judah. I asked him about the captivity. They said to me, verse 3, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. Now this is where, can I say this? This is where if the color of your skin, if, if you have been okay, and, and, and no, you've never suffered from racial injustice or anything, this is where we start to do, do this thing where we look over here and we're like, but injustice over there is the same thing as injustice here. In fact, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. This is where we're like, okay, but they're over there, and if they're suffering, then I'm suffering, and I'm going to take that burden upon myself, even if I'm not feeling it. And this is what Nehemiah does. He says to me, uh, they said to me, things are not going well. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now this is like anybody with a sword can come in and do anything to our women and children that they want to. That's how the world worked back then. And Nehemiah now is, is 800 miles away, but his heart is now with his people. His heart is now not comfortable. It's in distress. There's something that happens way down inside of him. When I heard this, he said, I sat down and I wept. I stopped my life. I sat down and I, somebody needs to sit down for two hours this afternoon and just repent. Just repent and give your life back to God. That's it. Just take two hours. Like, that's all it would take. But I sat down and I wept. There's some, I let it get into my, under my skin and, and under my fingernails. I just, I let it do it. I, I let it do its purpose in me. In fact, for many days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. We've, we've spent some time fasting the other day for this whole racial restoration thing. And I think sometimes as we got to remember, like, we got to go without because somebody else is going without something. And that's good. It just sharpens you up spiritually and makes you go to war for them. I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, it's interesting, like he, he did the fasting and the prayer and the repentance. Then I said, then I said, sometimes we just go and we just start saying, like, God, give me this and God, give me that. And God's the great slot machine in the sky and baby Jesus, you know, at Christmas time. You know, we just go in this with this whole list of demands. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to do the work first. You want, you want the miracle from heaven? That's great. I can do the miracle, but you got to do a little bit of work in your soul first. And I said, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. Now, this is what I love. He reminds God of who God is, not because God needed the rem reminder, but because he did. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Oh, that's a condition. Listen to my prayer. Oh, God, my heart is, let it return now. I'll obey your commands. Listen to my prayer now. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. You can't say that unless you are. Look down and see me praying. I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. 
Now, this is where Nehemiah does something powerful that the nation needs, because right now the nation sees themselves, Judah, in captivity. They see, they see themselves with the wall torn down as victims. And son or daughter of God, what business do you have seeing yourself as a victim? You're a victim? Did, was Jesus a victim on the cross? Or was resurrection coming? He saw himself. See, Nehemiah could look, look at the Babylonians and the Persians and he could say, God, I'm going to confess their sin because they got a lot of it. But what he does is he's like, no, this is my part. This is my piece of the pie. It's not on them. It's on me. I am no victim here in captivity. Come on. I feel like sometimes the, the spirit of the, the same, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and you're still wounded from childhood. Why don't we come to Christ and get our healing and get over it so we can help somebody. And all you do is sit there and, well, poor me, poor me, poor me. Jesus did not say poor me. He forgave and he got his healing and he's the resurrected savior. I think that could happen for you today. And then you're like, oh, pastor, you don't know. You don't know. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know. But maybe I decided a long time ago that wasn't going to be my story. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victor. You can't be both at the same time. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to go after the devil and I'm going to hurt the devil for everything he ever did to me but I'm not going to let it happen to somebody else if I can help it by the grace of God. Whew, get me all emotional. He says, we have sinned. Even my, my family and I have sinned. We, not the, not the Persians, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations you gave us through your servant Moses, another Nehemiah. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you. And he's like, that happened. But if, you return to me and obey my commands and live by them. Then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Dad, you said, you said you'd bring us back. I'm reminding you what you said. This is not because something I want. This is because something that you said. You promised. I, I think that we're doing, we're hearing a lot of protest, but what we're not hearing is a lot of prophecy right now. You can protest the wrong or you can protest and prophesy. A protest is like, this thing is not going right. Prophecy is like, but this is what it could be. But this is where the nation is going to go. By the grace of God, this is what's going to happen. And we've got to get in there and speak the words of the Lord our God. Because all protests can, can do is bring anger and bring more injustice than what was, we were protesting in the first place. Prophesy what God intended. Prophesy the scriptures. Every people from every nation and every tongue and every tribe worship in the house of woo. And he says, the people you rescue by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. This is where your Nehemiah has the ear of the king because it's a kingdom. And, and when, you, you, when you give uh, the right for Nehemiah to have a say then you get the king's favor in your life. Don't you need the, the king's favor? God could snap his fingers and fix you. I think you need the king's favor in your life today. I mean, you got to do your part, but part of your part is understanding how he brings deliverance. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Nehemiah chapter 2, four months later. All right, millennials, four months is a period of time that I don't think that you can quite understand until all y'all get pregnant. I four months? I don't have four months. I got like 20 seconds, man. Flash fry that hamburger and give it to me. Four months 
of sweating this out, four months of pain, four months of emotional trauma, four months he went down and dug this well, four months. And then it says, early in the following spring, in the 20th year of the king's reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Why? Because, you know, the king's got better things to do than see his cupbearer mope around with problems. <laughs> Amen. Nehemiah, leave your problems at home, man. I'm the king. I got more to worry about than your little problems here, buddy. Like, you had a fight with your wife? That's terrible. Like, I don't care, you know. And, and there's this thing, like, and in fact, probably by law, he had to actually be, like, you know, if you want to keep your head on your shoulders. You don't know how the world worked back then, but, like, if you want to keep all this together, be happy in the presence of the king, right? So watch, watch what happens here, though. I never before appeared sad. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick. You know, there was a day when people were only sad when they were sick and stuff. Like in my, the home I grew up in. <laughs> I can't remember my mom and dad being like, are you going through something right now? Um, anyways, look, I love, I love all y'all. It's okay. <laughs> I really want to run with that, but I'm going to get all distracted and hurt your feelings. Um, you don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. And he was. Listen, then I was terrified. <laughs> well, yeah, because he could die. But he replied, long live the king. And then, and then he says, how can I not be sad? This is where he's not as afraid of the king as he is afraid of the king. Where he's not as afraid of what this person could do to him because he's afraid of what's already being done to his people. This is the gift that Nehemiah brings. He's like, no, no, no. But the fear of the Lord now trumps everything that you could do to me. He says, the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help? This is where you're, you're like, well, my boss, he doesn't care. Well, when God's hand is in it, your boss might help you because God can do anything. Y'all got tough bosses? Okay. With a prayer to the God of heaven, he's like, oh, God, help me now. I replied, if it pleases the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king, the king agreed to my request. Now, this is very important, that Nehemiah has a plan. After four months, he does not have a dream any longer. He has a dream, but he has a plan. You're going to see this plan fleshed out, and you're going to find your part in this plan here. But the beauty about it is that God already has a plan for your life, along with a whole lot of other people. But God's got a plan, and when you go to Nehemiah to get it, you can take all the other people's plans for your life. You can take your own plans, put them over here, because your plan wasn't going to work. Because God can get you the result that you actually want, and he doesn't need your plan to do it. He's got his own. You forget that he's still God. And then he says, if it please the king, send, send letters with me, and instructing them to let me travel safely. Give me a letter. I need some timber. Give me a letter to the manager of the king's forest. I needed to make beams for the gates of the temple, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. He says, and the king granted me these requests. Favor that you'll never have, they have. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. I think we need more grace right now. Grace is not this, like, sniveling victim thing. Grace is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Grace is the ability. Can I say this? Grace is the ability when you're broke to bring your tithe to the storehouse because you know that God's got it. And you know that your 90 is going to go further than your 100 because God is still on the throne of your life. And if it doesn't work after six months, I'll give you your money back. But I've never had to do that one time because God is always good and God is able. And he says, I came to the governors of the province west of the, and I delivered the letters to them. And then the king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. 
there is protection waiting for you that's outside of what you can do too. But then it says this, but when Sanballat the Horonites and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. See, the devil is going to try to keep you from what God wants for you. And this is another reason that you need Nehemiah because the first reason, of course, is that you need to trade the spirit of fear that you've been experiencing for the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. That's the first thing that you need. The, the second thing you need is that the devil has plans for your life, but it says in the word of God and in the scriptures that God lays traps for the traps of the enemy. And you look around your family and all you can see is horsemen ready to wipe you out and all you see is the problems in your teenager's room. All you see are things that are not working in your own morality and your own addictions and in your own sin. But you need to look a little bit higher because the prophet had a servant that saw all the enemies, but he couldn't see the, the, the enemy's enemies surrounding them. And the prophet says, oh Lord, open his eyes because there are chariots and, and horsemen up there that belong to the Lord our God. This is what I want to say to you as I close this sermon. It's going to be simple. It's going to be short. It's going to be sweet. Help is on the way. Nehemiah is on the way. God's got a plan. He's given it to Nehemiah. If you go to Nehemiah, you get the plan. If you don't, you won't. If you go to Nehemiah, you'll have the humility. You'll need to actually execute a plan that you didn't think up yourself. Help is on the way. No matter what you're facing right now, somebody here is facing suicidal thoughts. You've actually started making a plan. Stop. Help is on the way. Help for your soul is on the way. It's not over. It's going to be the beginning. This is going to be the first day and not the last day of your life. God's spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me and he's in you too. And if the spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, he will quicken your mortal body. He will give you hope where there's no hope. He can walk into a dead economy and give you a great job. He can put bread on your table when you have nothing. And I'm telling you by the, by the grace of the Holy Spirit inside of me that it is not over. And today, the day you thought was going to be the last day is going to be the first day. Help, help is on the way. But I have, I have one question just to prepare your hearts for next week's sermon. Would you ask the Lord to open your eyes to who your Nehemiahs are? It's not, you keep asking for the solution. Why don't you take the asking for the solution time and say, God, who have you sent with the answer? Because when you get that, then you get the answer. Heavenly Father, forgive us for not understanding how you change society, how you create change in our lives, and how you bring us out of darkness and into light. How you bring our souls from, from prison out into the open, Lord. Forgive our selfish demands that we be our own agents of change. Lord, our pride would remain intact, but thank you for the humility of Christ who only delivered the message of the Father. I pray that we would not forget it's a kingdom that we belong to and there's a king who loves us and is more than able. Give us the humility to hear from your messengers. God, open our eyes to whom you have already sent us. We will listen, we will follow. And as we do, bring to us the fear of the Lord and break the spirit of, the, of fear of the enemy off of my people in Jesus' name. Amen.